just pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of our people. We're working on all these things. But thank you for making this the best church east of the Mississippi. It is a great church. It's a great, great, great church. Have you ever thought about caves? I wrote down, caves are enticing. They're enticing because, you know, when you look into a cave, you think, is there some hidden treasure way inside there? Anybody ever thought that beside me? Okay, I'm the only weird one. Two, three. You wonder what went on in that cave. But without a doubt, caves can also be very scary. And the reason I wrote down why caves can be very scary is because you think if you go way down into a cave, what might happen if you were to be way down inside the cave? It might collapse and you would die in the cave with no way out. Here are some very interesting facts about caves. The largest cave in the world is really not too, too, too far from here, maybe 500 miles or so, 550. And it's called a Mammoth Cave, and it's in Cave City, Kentucky. It's 80 square miles of caverns. An interesting fact concerning that particular cave, the fish that are there in some of those caverns that have water, the fish do not have any eyes. Approximately 400,000 tourists that have been to that cave every year or that go to that cave every year and they've already explored 365 miles of, I'll just use my word, trails or caverns in Mammoth Cave. There's another cave. It's called Sistema Sac Actun. Basically, in English, it means white cave. It's near a town called Tulum probably doesn't register too much with most of you in the state of uh, Merida. Probably most of us would know the big town close to it or the big famous town in there would be Cancun or they would say Cancun. That particular cave, it has 130 miles of underground or underwater rivers. It's the largest in the world. There's another one in Vietnam called, I don't even know if I'm saying this right because I don't know Vietnamese, but I would probably pronounce it Ho Can. It's such a large cave that the largest cavern within Ho Can, you could put from the very bottom to the very top, you could put a 40-story skyscraper in it and still have a few feet to spare. 
Incidentally, you can take a tour of that particular cave for six days by professionals that are licensed, and you can go for six days exploring that cave, and they'll only charge you $3,000 per person. The deepest cave, you don't even need to know the names, but it's a certain part of the Russian area. It goes 7,200 and almost 60 feet down, which is not quite a mile and a half deep from the top of the surface to the very bottom of it. But there's caves that are also found in Scripture. And just like we look at the caves here around our, our world, the caves that are found in Scripture, they're just as interesting and they can really teach us valuable lessons. Lessons that we can apply and be encouraged and we can be cheered by in our life. Let's look at these caves, what I'd like to look. I'd like to look at three of those caves and see what cheer we can find from it. The title of our consideration this morning is called spelunking. The word spelunking really is a Greek word which basically means cave diving or cave exploration. Do we have anybody periodically here that does spelunking? Anybody here? Nobody here? Who can? You do spelunking? Down in Georgia, you did what? 15 and 17, about 12 years ago, Ken, something like that? 20 years ago. The first cave that I'd like us to look at in Scripture is the cave of Engedi. I call it the cave of Revelation. So as we look at this cave, the cave of Engedi, We'll look at it and we'll see that we can appropriately entitle it the cave of revelation. Begin with me in the verses that are set right behind me. The scripture reads as follows. Then Saul, Saul had been called to be king. Then Saul, he took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and he went to seek David and his men in front of this particular place called Wild Goat Rocks. Let me just ask you a question. Why was Saul looking for David? To kill him. And that's what, if we don't put our flesh under control. In Saul's case, it was anger and it was jealousy. If we don't put our flesh under control, instead of Saul ruling and reigning, he was too busy chasing something that he would never get. Are you with me? And anger or jealousy or whatever lust of the flesh 
It can cause us to go down a rabbit trail, but we'll miss the purpose that God had for us. God's purpose for Saul was that he would reign and he would rule, but he couldn't because of the work of the flesh that was arising in him. The scripture says in verse 3, so he came to the sheepfolds that was by that particular place. And the scripture says there was this cave called the cave of En Gedi because it's in that area. And the scripture says that Saul went into this cave to take care of his bodily necessities. Now David and his men, they were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And so the men of David, they said to David, David, I'll just use my own terminology. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. They might have been singing that. David, this man that's been chasing you, now is your opportunity. You got him in your hands. You can give him a Mexican haircut. And that's what they're saying in verse 4. The men of David, they said, look, David, look, this is the day. Here's the day in which God said to you, look, I'm going to give your enemy into your hand. And you shall, if you hit the next slide, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. So in a sense, they're, they're egging him on. Kill him, David. Kill him, David. His men are way out, far away. He's coming to this cave. We can probably escape. Take care of him. The scripture says, now we're talking about this particular cave. It's called the cave of revelation. Because sometimes God will reveal things to us when you and I are in our cave. How many know what I'm talking about? And says in verse 5, at the end of verse 4, that David, he arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Can you give me another word for the word stealthily? Sneaky, sneakily. Got another word? Rick? Quietly? Secretly? Cunningly? And so this is David. He's a warrior. So he, he cunningly, he cuts off just a little corner of Saul's robe because evidently when Saul went to take care of his bodily necessities, he probably unrobed himself. And he might have gone 50, 20, 30, 40 yards. And, and maybe David snuck up and just cuts a little corner of the robe. But it says in verse 5, and we're talking about this is the cave of revelation, that afterward, David's heart, it struck him. Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I don't know what words you would like to use, but I would like to use this word. That in his conscience, his conscience was, was, was he was grief-stricken. He felt guilty that he would even use some kind of a knife that he had and just cut off a little portion 
of that robe. And it bothered him. But I believe that's what makes a man or a woman of God. That when you just do something that's just not quite right, how many know what I'm talking about? And you're grief-stricken, it bothers you. It works in you, and you said, it's not right, it's not right. And that's what David felt. This is a cave of revelation when you're in your cave. What are you going to do when you're in your cave? Nobody knows what is going on in your cave, but you and your mind and your heart knows what's going on in your cave. He said in verse 6, he said to the men, the Lord forbid that I would do this thing to my Lord. Notice he honored him. Do you see the fact that he honored authority? He had been anointed to be king, but he had not yet been established as king. And Saul was king. But he recognized and he valued authority. In churches today or even in companies today, we don't value and honor authority. We're Americans. We don't like it. I won't tell somebody. And we got this spirit of Americans as independents. I mean, we started as rebels against Britain. And we've carried the same spirit, kind of. And so you and I, we have to be honoring to authority. How many know what I'm talking about? He said, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. He said, look, he's the Lord's anointed. Saul has to put my hand out against him, seeing he's the Lord's anointed. Notice, so David persuaded his men with these words, and he did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up, and he left the cave, and he went on his way. So you notice that David was the man, and he influenced the people he did not allow the people to influence him. David was the thermostat, not a thermometer. This is how we're going to do it. Well, we're under my reign. He says, this is how we're going to do it. And I could say this, even as the pastor, as long as I'm the pastor of this place, we're going to do everything by the book. And there's righteousness, and there's godliness, and there's a way that we do in honor of the Lord. But my friends, sometimes we can kind of move again, so move over the way of God, and we begin to try ourselves up as Lord. But how many of you know, when, even when Satan tried to go against the Lord, how many of you know when we go against authority, we find ourselves in big trouble? Saul took off, gets out of the cave, goes on his way. Notice the end of this particular passage, if you hit the next slide. And the next slide it says, and as soon as David has finished speaking these words, in between basically David has said, you know, I could have got you, I could have killed you, but I didn't, et cetera. I didn't want to do that. As soon as David has finished speaking these words, Saul had already descended, gone to be with his men. Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Now watch, watch. And Saul, excuse me. And Saul 17, and Saul said to David, you're more righteous than I am. We get this lie thrown around. Uh, we're all sinners. That's true. That's true. We're all sinners. But my friend, not everybody has the same walk with God as everybody else. There are some 
people that are more righteous than others. Look at the word. He said, you are more righteous than I. My friend, you and I want to live lives in which we can say, listen, like Jesus, the devil has no part in me. That we can live lives of holiness that we, when we find ourselves in the cave and nobody's there, we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords because the Lord's in my cave and the Lord knows what's going on, but I'm going to be righteous even while I'm in the cave. Can I have a witness in the house? There's a lady by the name of Maria Goff. Probably 95% of you, 99% of you may not know her. Her husband is an author, well-known, bring at least two excellent, excellent, excellent books. I'd recommend both of them. If you're always driving, get on Audible, Love Wins, Love Always, great books. Great, great, great books. Great, great, really encouraging. Quite successful lawyer. They have their home in San Diego on the beach. You know, when you have a home on the beach in San Diego, you got to have a little bit of money. It's expensive property. Big city, too. Well, he did well enough that they built a lodge in British Columbia. Three stories. The only way you can get in there is by seaplane. Took them 20 years to build a lodge. Nice lodge, huh? Maria said she loved to go to the lodge, and I could name names of people that are Olympic gold medalists and famous authors and just all sorts of well-known, documented people that would go to the lodge, and they would just bless them. And, and she said on one occasion, we're talking about the cave of Revelation, she said on one occasion... The lodge that they had worked 20 years to build to establish in two hours was consumed by flames. And Maria couldn't shake it. Why am I so discouraged? Why am I angry? Why am I confused? What's really bothering me with this situation? And she couldn't shake it. Sometimes God may allow things into her life to make us reflect in our own cave. Now watch what happened here, Dottie. Because she couldn't get over just this grief, she went to talk to one of her friends who was a counselor. And they began exploring, and Maria finally said to her, this is the only place I ever felt truly safe. And they continued the counseling, and this is the reason why she shared it. She said that when she was a young girl, her mom and dad in the San Diego area that they were going away for, I'm not exactly sure, business trip, whatever it was. And they took Maria to one of the relatives' house. When they took her to the relatives' house, because the parents were going to be gone for a while, that one of the relatives, one of the male relatives, when he put her to bed, he said, your mom and dad, your mom and dad want to make sure that you're really comfortable and they don't want you to sleep in your underwear. Let me help you. You know where I'm going with the story. Maria said, 
all she could do at that point, she just had this black cloud. And it was such a horrible thing that she couldn't even go back and enter into that situation. And she felt she was in a cave. And sometimes God may allow things in your life, in my life, to burn up. And we have to look into the cave that we're in. And it's the cave of Engedi. It's the cave of Revelation. And we need to begin to look at ourselves and begin to say, this is what happened. What am I going to do? I was raped. I was abused as a child. I did this to somebody else. And sometimes we have to look at ourselves. And the revelation comes in. And will we be like a King David? Will we be like a Maria Goth that when we look at ourselves, we begin to say, no, even though this happened, I release them. I continue to walk in life. I'm not going to live in the secrecy of this cave. And my friend, Engedi is the cave of revelation. The second cave is the cave of Adullam or the cave of refuge, or the place of refuge. Notice what the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 22. It's called a Dullam's cave. The scripture says, David departed from there. Question comes up, where is there? In context, if you go back to chapter 21, you would see that they had captured David, some of the Philistines did, and they had taken him to Achish, who was the king of Gath. Gath was the city where some of the Goliaths were from. And so when David was taken there to that particular king, the scripture says that he feigned or that he acted, what's the next word I'm looking for? He acted crazy. He begins to dribble on himself. And he begins to grab a hold of the doors and he begins to scratch them like he's a madman. And the king says, well, why, why'd you bring him here? Don't I have enough troubles in my house without having another madman in my kingdom? And David escaped. And David had escaped because if you go earlier in chapter 21, Saul was so intent, they had killed the priest of a town called Nob, and David was constantly running for his life. And the scripture says, David's on a run, and he had departed from there, and he escaped to this particular cave called the Cave of Adullam. Now, this is not the Cave of Revelation. This is a Cave of Refuge. When his brothers... That's David's brothers. Remember, he had brothers. They kind of laughed at him, mocked him. Notice. When his brothers in all of his father's house heard it, they go down to him there. He must have seen something honorable about their boy, about their brother. They go down to David there. And the scripture says, and I call this, this is the very first teen challenge in the Bible right here. Because it says, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was disconsolate, 
or discouraged in his soul or bitter in his soul, the three Ds, they gathered to him. And the scripture says, even though this is the kind of rough kind of people that were around him, the Bible says that David became their commander. And there are about 400 men in this team challenge. But evidently, there must have been something in David's life. Must have been something about this man's character. Even in the cave. That he's not influenced by these men. He's going to influence these men. But notice a great truth. David did everything that he could within his power and wisdom to escape the snare and the trap of the evil one, even through Saul. Do all that you possibly can. We do what we can. God, without a doubt, will do his part. Can I hear? I have a witness in the house. And so the scriptures, he became commander over them. And there were 400 men. Now this is the cave of Adullam. It's a refuge. The next slide that I have, there's different places of refuge that we can go to. My question is this to you. Forget the slide. Look at me. What is your refuge when things get tough? My friend, a lot of people when things get tough. <laughs> little marijuana. Okay? <laughs> Y'all know. Yeah, I used to do that. Don't worry about it. I used to smuggle it. Some of you, your old nip of the old bottle. Some of you little porno. And we turn to so many other things to satisfy. But David, when he found himself in trouble, he had a refuge. It was Adullam's cave, but it just wasn't the cave of Adullam. My friend, he was hiding himself in the Lord. I just have to read you this. I can't quote it. Psalm 142, it's written probably from Adullam's cave. Here's what Psalm 142 verse 6 says. I cry to the Lord. I say, you're my refuge. You're my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors for they're too strong for me. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many friends you have. Sometimes God can bring us to the end of ourselves that your friends, your strength, your ability, your money, your power, nothing can help you. The only one that can help you is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is strong tower. The righteous, they run into him. And they're safe. Come on, somebody help the preacher say amen. Come on, say amen like you mean it. I'm preaching all by myself here this morning. Oh, I could talk to you about them four little check marks up there, but I just, how, about, how about, here's one that probably most of you don't know, and you read your Bible 5,500 times. Israel in Egypt, watch this. Zenavi. When the Egyptians found themselves at the Red Sea, the Israelites found themselves at the Red Sea, the Israelites were chasing. The Bible says that the cloud did what? 
or the angel of the Lord did what? It went behind him. Watch. NIV gives us a perspective that that cloud on one side, it was dark. And on the other side, it was light. ESV gives a little different take. It might have been dark, but there was light above it. But nevertheless, to some degree, that was a refuge that the Israelites had. My friend, there's none like Jehovah. There's none that's so great and they're so good. What a strong refuge you and I as God's people have that we can find ourselves in the arms of the eternal one, the arms of the everlasting God. What a hope God's people have. Can I have a witness for that? The cities of refuge, if you accidentally kill somebody, three cities on one side of the Jordan, three cities on the other side. If you ran there, if the avenger of blood was trying to get you, if you found yourself in the city, as long as you remain in the city of refuge, my friend, you were safe. Let me just say this. Some people say, why do you get so excited when you preach, preacher? Maybe it's to keep some of you awake. No, listen. As a teen challenge, you said, I was saved in the fire. I'm not going to settle for smoke. When you know God's done something in you, you want to encourage God's people to be filled with the glory of God and to honor him because he's worthy. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And if we heard somebody say this morning, he's coming quicker than we think, maybe we, we need to be about the king's business. As long as they were in the city, they were safe. Oh, which one of these two should you want a, you want a light one or you want a heavy one? I only have room for one. You want, you want William Barclay's friend or you want Carla Isom? Which one you want? Carla Eisen. Do you remember her? Her dad was who, Tammy? Ken Eisen. Doctor. Veterinary doctor. Graduated OSU, Oklahoma State. Worked with him at Teen Child. Well, he had a little girl. She was probably about three. So this probably would have been close to 40 years ago, Teen Child. And so she's about three. But you know, when kids are at that age. I just love little kids that age. Especially because if I catch them, I, you know, I got this fetish for cheeks, for chubby cheeks. I just love chubby cheeks. I think uh, Lorette's granddaughter, where's Loretta? Lorette's granddaughter, she used to say, I'm five, Pastor Ted. I'm five now. You can't pull my cheeks no more. <laughs> I just love, I got a fetish with cheeks. I remember we were at Ken's house, Teen Challenge, and you know, I would play like, I'm gonna get you. Anybody ever play the game, I'm gonna get you? I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you. And what does the little girl do, or little kids, what do they do when you say you're gonna get them? What do they do? Ah, she ran around, I'm gonna get you. And I'd stop sometimes, and, and then, you know, here I come, and she see me, she start the other way. But after about 30 or 45 seconds, you know, kids three or four years old, they just don't have. 
You know, they got energy, but after a while, they get tired of running all around, right? So you ran, 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 ran around. And finally, you know, as I was getting real close to her, she ran in between her dad's legs. And I can still see her looking from between her dad's legs. And she says, you can't get me now. How many of you know, if we truly will hide ourselves under the refuge, the wings of Almighty God, how many of you believe that the devil can't get us there? There's safety, but we get remain there until the storm passes by. Thirdly and lastly. There's the cave of Engedi, the cave of Revelation. There's the cave of Adullam. The cave of refuge, the place of refuge. And the third and last cave is the cave of Makeda. Put that for a name, the cave of Makeda. So in the book of Joshua, chapter 10. Long story short, Joshua had been conquering the land that God had given him. And there's five kings that had risen up against Joshua. So Joshua got his men and they began going on the offensive. And sometimes we have to be on the offensive as Christians. We just can't just sit back. We have to be aggressive and do what the Lord wants us to do. And so the scripture says the following concerning what happened at Makeda, which is the place or the cave of conquest. Then five kings fled. These are the ones that had risen up together. They had formed like an alliance there from the area of around uh, Jerusalem. The five kings, they, they took off, they ran, and they hid themselves in the cave called Makeda. Somebody told it to Joshua, hey, Joshua, these five kings, we found out where they're at. They're hidden in the cave of Makeda. And Joshua said to them, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to roll large stones against the mouth of the cave. And I want you to just put a couple of men by that particular cave and guard it. He said, but the rest of you, he says, don't stay there yourselves. Don't stay there. He says, what I want you to do, I want you to pursue your enemies. I want you to attack their rear guard. He says, don't let them enter in their cities because they had come against Joshua. He says, now God's given them into our hands. That's when he had made the sun shine still much longer. <clears throat> he says, don't let them enter in the cities. The Lord your God has given them into your hand. Next slide. The scripture says the following. It says, so he had gone. He had done what he had to do. Then he comes back. And Joshua said, I want you to open up the mouth of the cave, and I want you to bring out those five kings from the cave. My friends, sometimes in Christian people's lives, there are strongholds, there are kings that should not be in our lives. Now, let me be an honest preacher. Sometimes it's a battle of sanctification, and it may take a long time in dealing with that. But there are some things that you need to just completely obliterate and cut out from your life because you know if you don't deal with that, that thing is going to really deal with you. So sometimes there's kings in our hearts and in our lives. And David said, 
Open the mouth. Bring out those five kings that try to cause a lot of trouble. Bring them out from the cave. Verse 23, they did so. They brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. Verse 24, and when they had brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel, and he said to the chief of the men of war who had gone with him, he said, you guys, come here. He said, come here. He said, put your feet on their necks. Sometimes you got to put your foot on the neck of the devil. Or you got to put your foot on the neck of the flesh that's trying to rise up against you. You got to put that under your feet. Can I have a witness in the house? See, it's easy to preach. It's easy to preach, my friend. But you know what? As soon as we leave them doors, that's when the battle begins. That's when you'll find out, are you a man of God? Are you a woman of God? Will you pay the price? Or you're going to be just like they say in Spanish, cualquier otro. You're going to be just like everybody else. The eyes of the Lord, they look throughout the whole earth looking for a heart that's upright before him. That he may show himself strong on that man or that woman's behalf. He said, put your foot on the neck of those kings. They came near. They put their foot or their feet on their necks. Last slide. One of them 12, one of them 12. Come on in. Next slide. Thank you very much. And listen, they do a great job for just starting to learn that. Thank you. Who's back there? Is it Kevin or is it Elizabeth? Did a great job, Elizabeth. Ken Baker, thank you for doing a great job back there. Sometimes those people, listen, if you don't have them, you know, they're important. Yeah, they make, they make you look good or look bad. My brother told me this. When Billy Graham preached in Louisville at the Yum Center, that's the Louisville Cardinals play basketball, there was 20,000. Don't tell me that the guy who sits in the back just with, a little, with those little knobs don't tell me that he's not important. Just like that. Just like that. <laughs> just like that. Because if he just kind of takes him down, Billy Graham is only going to be able to reach maybe 100 or 200 or 400 people from him. My friend, every one of us, we have a job to do. We need to be involved in what God is asking us to do. Forget about everybody else. You do what the Holy Ghost is telling you to do. Whatever is your gift, it's important. Afterwards, Joshua struck them, put them to death. He hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until the evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, take these old boys down from the trees, throw them into the cave where they've hidden themselves, and I want you to set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. My friend, sometimes when an enemy has risen up, you need to throw it back into the cave. You need to close that cave up with a large rock so that king can't come out and trouble your soul no more. I close by saying this. This comes from World Vision. I think it's page 18. Let's say spring edition of 1986 magazine. 
I have it on my notes there. You can verify it. Talked about a fellow by the name of Victor Guaminga. Oh, no, let me just say this before that. Conquering. Abraham conquered himself at Mount Moriah. God didn't want Isaac. God wanted Abraham. Jacob conquered his fear of Peniel because of what he had done to his brother. He's fearful. Jonah conquered his hatred while he was in the belly of a large fish. Moses conquered his self-doubt. God, who am I? I can't do it. Well, he found himself in the wilderness. Gideon conquered his, ins his insecurities when he was in a wine press. Paul conquered his ignorance when he was on a road to Damascus. David conquered a giant when he found himself in a valley. Esther conquered self-preservation before a king. She said, if I die, I die. But she conquered self-preservation. It's not about me. It's about others. Joseph conquered hurts when he was on the throne. Who's hurt you? Who's hurt you? Who's hurt you from your past? Dredge it up. Dredge it up. Hey, listen, it may come up, but I'm not going to operate out of that. I'm going to operate out of Christ. I'm in Christ. So when Joseph found himself on the throne, he conquered the hurts when he was on the throne. Job conquered the negative voice, the discouraging voice of his wife that really has pity for him. And when he found himself in deep sadness, when he finds himself thrown on the ground, he conquers. He conquers these deep sadnesses and hurts. He conquered. My friend, the cave of Machida is the cave of conquest. 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 Ruth conquered a life of familiarity. She could have gone back to her old way of life with her, with her gods, etc. She conquered it with Naomi on a, on a dusty road back to Judah. And Jesus conquered in the wilderness with a word. Jesus conquered in the garden by submission. Jesus conquered on a hill by trusting the Lord. Will you conquer? Will you conquer? What's your enemy is rising up? What is it? What's the Holy Ghost want you to do with this thing? How does the Holy Ghost want you to deal with this situation? Whatever the Holy Ghost tells you to do with this king. If he tells you you got to go talk to somebody, go talk to him. If the Holy Ghost says, hey, listen, you got to kill it, you got to drop it, you got you to do what the Holy Ghost tells you. This is a walk of the Holy Ghost. But friend, you know what kind of a preacher I am. And you know, I'm preaching for the heart of a man. Because one day I'm going to stand before God. God's going to say, hey, preacher, you know what? You were kind of, you were soft-selling the gospel. But I want people that don't come to church. I want people that come to the Lord in this particular church. I want people that are going to be just now believers in Christ. I'm looking for disciples, that people that everywhere they go, how can I glorify you, God? How can I glorify you, God? I believe that's the heart and the cry of any preacher, any man of God. I believe that's the cry of every person who truly loves the Lord. God, how can I glorify you in this situation? Can I have a witness in the house? I won't even tell you the last story. That's enough. Would you stand with me? As soon as we begin to sing, as soon as Tim or Loretta or Marrow, I just invite you to the cave of conquest. 
Maybe before you get to the cave of conquest, maybe you need to go to the cave of refuge in the Lord. Maybe before you go to the cave of refuge in the Lord, you got to look at the cave of revelation. God, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing here? But I invite you. I invite you to him that there's none other like him. As soon as the first word is sung, if you'd like to come and just worship or draw near to him, you're saying, God, I just love you. I want to honor you. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come and just love me. Just pray for, pray for me. Pray for us. So as soon as the first word is spoke, sung, just you just respond to the Lord, whether to worship, adore him. The altar will be open. Tim, whenever y'all go, we'll respond.